You're listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast, discussing all aspects of precision and long-range rifle shooting. This episode is brought to you by Impact Dynamics, advanced training for the precision shooter. And now, over to your hosts. Well, hello and welcome to the Precision Shooting Podcast. This is Rusty, and uh, I have no idea what episode number this is because this one's a little bit special. We have a guest on the line. Paul Reed, how are you? Hey, good, Rusty. How are you, mate? Yeah, really good, mate. Thanks for coming back and chatting to us again. My pleasure. I'm glad you asked me. Oh, a- absolutely, mate. The uh, the podcast we did a little while ago, which is oh, getting close to a year, um, is one of our most listened to podcasts. So I guess we just got to get you back on more often. I reckon half that's my family, so thanks to them for that. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Doesn't doesn't matter how we get the listeners as long as we got some listeners. That's the uh, important that's, thing. Absolutely. Now I feel like a little bit of deja vu, mate, because we are again only a few weeks away from the uh, Vortex Cold Steel Open coming up. Mate, that that's awesome. You guys continue to move ahead with the sport over there with um, a lot of brick walls. Keep it up. It's great work. Cheers, mate. We uh, we're very excited, and, and some of those brick walls are starting to uh, to well, brick by brick, we're uh, we're working our way in to try and make more and more of these matches. So it's very good. But we thought we'd get you back on the line because we need some more advice and some more tips. So uh, right. I'm ready for it. Well, we'll <laughs> we'll get, we'll get onto that. But it's it has been a bit of time, and some things have changed in your camp. You uh, who, who are you shooting for, and what gear are you running now? Um, this season I'm shooting for Team Curtis Alamo. Um, that's two different companies. Okay. Curtis Custom make the actions that I run. Um, and Alamo Precision Rifles do all the rifle smith work for me. Right. Okay. Are they local companies to you? They are. Old Curtis Custom's got some pretty nice actions that have come out, which we can talk about if you like. Yeah. But um, they're an hour from me. Yeah, right. And in the past, I'm having to ship stuff in the different states to get it done. So I went down and met the guys. I've got a local connection. They're great people. And uh, I could drive across town and pick something up. It's awesome. Yeah, that's, so, that's certainly got to be an advantage, doesn't it? It is. I briefly saw one of the videos you did on their actions. T- tell us about them, mate, because uh, I'm keen to hear more on that. Well, they started off making the Axiom action, which is, is brilliant. Uh, it's a three-lug action, 60-degree uh, bolt throw. It's got lots of neat little tricks. The way that the um, you can change the firing pin assembly uh, is pretty cool for cleaning and changing it if something happens to it. But um, this year they've come out with their Vector action, which is a, uh, a has a switch barrel system, um, which I did the video on where I'm changing four different calibers and hitting a target out 800 yards. Yep. It's neat as hell. So it allows guys to, you know, because I've got four rifles set up identically. That was kind of expensive. But with this action, you only really need one rifle and you can go shoot four or five different short action calibers. It's pretty good. Yeah, sensational. We'll make sure we put a link in, in there on that video. You started to, to get on the video production bandwagon. Uh, yeah, people ask me and I'm like, it's just easier to go and do it on video. <laughs> I'm not not too proud of seeing myself on the video, but if it helps them, no worries. I'll do my best to get it out there for you. Yeah, excellent. And is there any other equipment that you've changed or are you still running some of the similar gear from, from previous year? 
Uh, a lot of it's very similar. My good buddies at, at Wee Bag, I'm kind of converted to their bags, their fortune cookie and their, their mini fortune cookie. So apart from the bag change, everything's pretty much the same. Okay, I was going to ask you about the bags because uh, I know when we spoke last time, you just picked up a game changer and had been using it, plus your customised bag. And, and then I saw fortune cookies in your last video. That's been a conscious change. Yeah, never be scared to try something different. Um, I still like the other bags. Uh, I just go practice with these ones. I'm hitting targets. I'm like, well, these will do. Plus, <laughs> you know, they're, they're packed a little differently. They're a little lighter, a little easier to carry. Um, yep. I like the, the fortune cookie because it, uh, it covers more surface area when you lay it on its side. So um, I feel like I can shoot a bit steadier off of it and... Um, it grips the barricades better. Yeah, I, I was playing with one on the weekend, and uh, I've got some photos from that. I'm sure I'll put that up as well. Do you still have the other bags? Like, are you building a collection, or are you still running just the two-bag principle? <laughs> yeah, everybody's got, like, a shelf filled with old bags they're not using. Um, <laughs> I still have the other one. Yep. I, uh, you know, reluctantly changed over. Carrying them to matches but still using the fortune cookies, I've, I've given up the extra weight. They can stay in the uh, in the ute for now. Okay. They still make their way out there? Yeah. Very good. Now, speaking of matches, I saw quite an interesting match you were involved with. I'm going to have a stab at pronouncing this, and I know I'm probably not meant to, but it's the Nowrissa. <laughs> yeah. Is it, that's how I said, right? Good, good job, mate. You nailed it. <laughs> I try. It's the North American Long Range Shooting Association. Nowrissa, yeah. Yeah, I just call it the N-A-L-R-S-A because I don't want to sound like, a, like I'm just... I've got no shame. This is the difference. Mate, go for gold. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about that one, mate, because that was uh, that was a bit different to the normal PRS sort of scenario. It's a prone match off the dirt on a bipod. They have a weight limit. Total weight limit is 22 pounds on the rifle. Um, that includes your mag and your rear bag, but not your suppressor if you run one. Mm -hmm. They have a really neat scoring setup, electronic scoring. Uh, they have targets that uh, have a backing plate and a 12-inch centre. And the 12-inch centre is a scoring plate. You can watch live right on an iPad right next to you on the shooting line exactly where those rounds are hitting. Yeah, nice. So it happens in three different heats. We shoot at 500 yards, around 700, and the final heat is anywhere from 1,000 yards to 1,250. And so it's a bit more static in the, in the shooting position? You're just prone. There's a promo video I just put on my uh, timeline to, to give you a better idea of how it is, but it's kind of a, a blend between PRS field shooting and uh, F-Class. Okay. Yep. I knew nothing about it, and I saw some guys that I'd shot with early last year standing there with these big checks in their hands. I'm like, hang on, I can beat those guys. What's this? <laughs> That's one way to get some attention, isn't it? Yeah, so when you see um, someone holding a check with $6,250 on it that you're pretty sure you can beat, you get real interested in what's going on. Yeah, I bet. Absolutely. Oh, here's here's yeah. winning more awards, the gold medal uh, international moonshine. <laughs> what a surprise yeah, to see a, you at an event like that. Yeah, how about that? That's a buddy of mine who, who lives, uh, grew up in Stockham Bingle next to Cootamundra. Mm -hmm. He lives near Canberra now, and he, he called me a couple of years ago and said, mate, I'm going to give away this IT career, and and I'm going to start a uh, distillery. Yep. And I'm like, mate, you're bloody crazy. <laughs> so he didn't listen to me, which was fortunate. Went ahead and did it, submitted um, one of his... Moonshine's over to the American Distillery Institute Awards and won gold. <laughs> wow. So he rang me up and said, will you go and accept the award for me? So, <laughs> Oh, let's give him a plug. That's, uh, that was Baldwin Distilling Company? Baldwin Distillery. Yep. Yeah. 
out of Canberra, Anthony Baldwin, good bloke. Don't get in a drinking competition with him. <laughs> no, no, because he'll beat you and then charge you for all the uh, all the moonshine. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, right. So anyway, I've been slightly distracted there looking for this video, but I'm sure we'll, we'll track that one down and have a little look at now Rasa competition. Yeah, the, their website is long-range-shooting.com. They're an awesome group of people. I won almost $20,000 last year. I shot five matches. Wow. Yeah, and the first first match I shot down there all cocky like I could do something, I didn't even qualify for the last round. So <laughs> I got pretty angry and worked out exactly what I need to do, and I came back with a first, then another first, then a second, and a first and won the season championship. <laughs> <laughs> this seems to be a theme because last episode that you were on, you talked about uh, coming second to last in your first six matches and it made you angry every time. And, and then here, <laughs> here you are, you know, top of the PRS. So. Angry on the inside, guys. Only on the inside, not on the <laughs> Determined or some word like that is what we're meant to use? Yeah, I, I like to win, um, but I'm not scared to lose either. So when it comes down to... Uh, trying something new and not doing very good, well, I'm going to give it a go to see how well I can be at it. Sensational. The one thing you mentioned there about there's a, the weight limit on uh, on that type of competition. Now, that's something we often don't see in PRS. Did that affect what you ran or how you could run it? Yeah, it did. That's a good point. Yeah, I actually add weight to my rifles in the PRS uh, to get the balance point right. Mm-hmm. So I had to dump lead out of them. Uh, do a couple of things, change the bipod I was running to make sure I get into the 22-pound limit. I believe they have that because a lot of F-class shooters have some pretty fancy rigs and mm. fancy bipods because there is a, a bipod width uh, restriction. So they want to keep a lot of those guys out there and you know give a chance to guys that are more field shooters, hunters, and, and that sort of class. They have a, a bunch of different categories people could compete in. Uh, even the, the guy who has shot the lowest scores can win a couple of thousand dollars. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, right. I guess that's one of the things that, you know, is in many of those competitions that are a little bit more static is the weight of the rifle is limited, but we don't generally see that in PRS because you've got to actually get up and boogie along with the rifle. Yep. You've got to carry it all day, but not weigh too much. Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned before that you were talking about in the last episode, when you first started out, it didn't do so well, but you kept with it. And you talked about a couple of points uh, where you, you said there was a number of things that you wanted, you tackled and they, they gave results really quickly. Two of those things were reloading and cleaning the rifle. <laughs> we're going to have a bunch of guys in this country who are really st- at that stage and may not have the opportunity to go to club matches quite so often at this stage. Yep. What else in those initial periods could we really spend some time working on as we go through that process? Basically, you need to try and get online and see what sort of barricades were shot the last one because you guys have a pretty good video or a bunch of pictures of what went down. Yeah, good point. There's there's a stack of photos. Yeah, yeah the, a lot of these positions are going to be unusual to people and you just can't figure it out by looking at a picture or watching someone else. You've got to get into that position. So just try and duplicate them as, as well as you can. Maybe not the same barricade, but maybe the same heights and the same widths. Like if they're shooting off a 2 by 4 we'll go grab a 2 by 4 mm-hmm. Get a bag up there and try and get steady on it. And get prepared for how you'll move into those positions and position your rifle before you go to the match. It'll be a big help because it's funny. I've seen guys shoot a barricade and I'll be like, no worries, I've got that. Then you throw your rifle up there, it's completely different. 
you don't have it because you're a little taller or a little shorter than them. Your bags are different. So give that a go. Look at all the pictures from the last match and see what's unusual to you and, and try and duplicate it um, before the match and get comfortable in some of those positions. Yeah, it's a, that's a really good point. Because we don't have the, the distances that you guys can shoot over there in the US for the this type of matches we're doing here, we're often limited to five or 600 metres, Mildura being 600 metres. We really sort of put more emphasis perhaps on positions as well because we can't push them out to a 1,000 metres and such. Fair enough, yep. Typically, a lot of the uh, matches in America, there are a lot of um, positional stages. So, I mean, of course, yeah. back in the day when I was going to a match, I was a bit worried about, I looked at pictures from a previous match and I saw a barricade I'd never shot off before. And I, one of the guys that was standing next to the barricade, I knew him and I could see his shoulder height was kind of classed. And I rang him and said, how tall are you? And I, I actually barricade. <laughs> So, you know, stuff like that. Just be prepared for the different sort of heights that um, you'll encounter. One of the things that I did a couple of years ago to make it easier on me, because some of these matches, they won't let you touch the barricade before you shoot it. Yeah, we generally we generally run that way. I uh, measured parts of my body so that when I walk past the barricade or around it, I'll go, okay, that's up to, like, my hip. So for me, that's two knees down to shoot that. I can't connect my elbow to my knee or yep. it's, you know, it's around my pocket height. <clears throat> that means I can connect my knee to my elbow, come up to my shoulder pit. I'm going to have to get on my tippy toes. might be too hard. I need to, to use the lower bag, that sort of stuff. So measure yourself and uh, what positions you can get in so when you walk past these barricades, you can have a little heads up of what you'll need to do to move from one position to another. Mm, absolutely. A bit of a plan for, for how you're going to do it. Yeah, and if I see someone shoot it really good, I'll walk up to them and make sure I'm about the same height and try and copy them. <laughs> I, I don't care. There's, there's no morals for me. I'll just... Use, use whatever you can. Yeah, exactly. So that's important. Just know these, where your body is on that barricade, that step height comes up to my pocket, well, I need to be in this position. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as a match director, I haven't worked out a way for people not to be able to bring their own body to a match to use that to their advantage. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you'll get there. Speaking of matches and getting ready for them, one of the questions that I have had asked uh, to ask you yep. is about what you do on Friday before a match, which is often a, like an available practice day, or even in, in the sort of short lead up to, like the immediate lead up to the match itself. Once I know the maximum round count, that ammo goes in the bag so that I know I can't accidentally shoot it because it's easy to get carried away on a practice day and shoot a couple too many rounds. Yeah. So I'll, I'll have some practice ammo. If I'm allowed to go and shoot all the barricades, then I'll have a practice rifle with me. If I'm only allowed to go and mess around and, um, you know, check my zero, confirm at distance, that sort of stuff, I'll have probably 30 or 40 rounds Yep. ready for that. Before I go to the match, and this is an important point, because uh, hmm. it's like, ah, oh, no, we can check zero at the match. Don't don't fall into that trap. You get down to your local range, you confirm your 100-yard, 100-meter zero, and you can you do a chrono and check your speed. Because I've gone to matches with my rifle not squared away, and it's rained out that day. Yeah, right. So you're going to that match on that, that practice day to confirm your zero, not get it squared away. Have it squared away already. So when I get to a match... To confirm my zero, that's what I'll do. I'll confirm the zero. Try and get there early. What happens on these these zero boards that are put up is typically near the end of the day, they're shot out. There's nothing left to shoot at. Yeah, true. If that's the case, here's a, a technique I use at all matches now. I won't shoot the dots that are on there. 
I'll shoot a hole and aim at that hole. And if I yep. stack it, I'm done. Yeah, it's a sensible way. Yeah, pick an open area, fire around at it and put yours on top of it and go from there. And it, unless I'm off on my zero by uh, an inch, I'm probably not going to change it. I'll pay attention to whether there's mirage present, that sort of stuff. But typically if I'm off on the windage a little bit, like 0.2 left or right, I won't make any changes. It's the vertical I want perfect. Yep. And if it's mirage present, 0.1 is close enough. Mm. I'm, I'm pretty reluctant to go to a match and make a change to my zero, mm. unless it's significant, if I can see there's a real problem there because it's too tricky. The mirage is going to change it. Next thing you've chased it all over the place, you burn up 30 rounds and, well, you're not sure if you've got a good zero. So pop a couple of rounds unless you see something major that's going on there. Don't stress about it too much. Just make sure you've got a good vertical. Mm, absolutely. And definitely check your speed at the match. It's always different for me. Um, sometimes it's 10 feet per second. Sometimes it's 20. I don't know why. I don't care. I just check the speed with three rounds and I put that into the the ballistic device I use, the Geo Ballistics. If you get an opportunity to confirm at distance, I don't know if you guys will, but I've been to matches where we could shoot at 800 or 600, yeah. and they put a pretty huge target out there. So one of the tricks that I and other guys do is if you've got that huge target, look on the berm that that target's near and try and find a rock, something's tiny to shoot at, and shoot at the rock, see how close you get to it, see if you've got good, that's the, the true way to see if you've got good vertical dope. Shoot something's not something big. Mm. Yeah, we'll end up hitting the rock and go, okay, I'm good. When you get that confirmation, is that pretty much I'm done, shut the rifle away and uh, go kick back? That's it, absolutely. Yeah, what I'm hearing is it's, unless you get the chance to actually run the barricades, it's pretty minimal. You just you do what you need to confirm, build your confidence up and then uh, wait for the next day. Yeah, exactly. Just pump 20 rounds down there, get the zero squared away, your speed go hit something at distance and pack her up some beer o'clock. Nice. Anything else on that prep side of things, Paul? Well, um, yeah, okay, so wait on the beer o'clock. If you can get the match book, which is typical after you're leaving the range or when you're leaving the range, you need to study it. Try and get it in your head how things are going to work the next day because, you know, I, I used to wait until it was match day. Well, match day you only get to study it one stage at a time, so... If you get a chance to read through it, see what's going on, maybe make out some some dope cards in preparation so that all you have to do on at the stage is to fill in what your dope's going to be, then, then go ahead and do it. In fact, um, anyone who's out there using uh, Ballistic Arc from Geo Ballistics, I preload the entire match into that uh, the comp mode before the match starts. So next, mm -hmm. next day all I do is pull it up and uh, verify the conditions and get my dope. It's very handy. Yeah, good way to do it and be well well prepared. Exactly, exactly. So study the matchbook and make sure you understand what's going on, then just kick back and relax. Um, if something happened during that day where, you know, a dust storm kicked up or something and maybe your action got a little dirty, go ahead and clean it tonight. Mm -hmm. Clean that bolt out, clean out the chamber and make sure it's all clean. And, and if it is a dusty environment, then limit the amount of oil you use on it because I've of all my stuff up thinking I'm doing the right thing and I go to somewhere like Oklahoma where it's a dust bowl and the thing stops running after about the third stage. So yeah, okay. pay attention to the environment you're shooting in and uh, <clears throat> adjust accordingly. Fantastic. One of your latest videos that you put up is about free recall. And I know we sort of mentioned this last time we talked. Be a topic I think is worth 
uh, bringing up again because I know there's a lot of guys who continue to ask questions about it and seek clarifications. I've got some of those sort of questions here. Can you give us a, like an overview and then we can get into some, some deeper point of what free recall is and why and when you would use it? Yeah, well, I'd be happy to. First up, who's Michael Stubborn? Is he a decent bloke? No, nah, no idea who that bloke is. Never, never heard of him. Was he a sh- shotgun shooter or something, is he? He, he probably is. Must do skeet. <laughs> he, he, he reached out to me. I've answered questions over uh, the past year or so on people asking about free recalling, and, and uh, he reached out to me and asked me a couple of questions. And um, I got that uh, side shot scope cam, and I've had it sitting in the box for a while. I only used it once, and I went, man, I need to just pull it out and go and do a video where there's two angles. There's the angle of me shooting it, trying to explain what I'm doing, and then there's the downrange one. So I think that video worked out pretty good. Yep. Got to get that phone uh, to focus correctly, but it wasn't bad. And I think a lot of guys can watch that video, and most of the questions are answered. Yeah, very true. But for recall and uh, free recall, sorry. Basically, it's a way for um, <clears throat> newer shooters or shooters who haven't tried it before to understand how much of themselves need to be on the rifle uh, when they're shooting barricades um, and there's a lot of movement in their scope. Um, so, how much of you should be on the rifle to make a successful shot? In the video, I'm actually free recalling with my stock followed up, so you, you can see it's not on my shoulder. And I'm making some pretty good hits there, mm. but I've had a lot of practice. If uh, a newer shooter uh, wanted to go ahead and throw their rifle on a barricade with a bag and it had a good balance point, that rifle will just sit there on its own. It won't move. It'll sit on target. But there'll be no radical movement. All of the movement comes from us. You have to work out how much of yourself should be on that rifle to get it to calm down and pull a, a good shot. So get behind it. Put yourself on it real hard, watch the reticle, then slowly just back yourself off of it. As a rule for me, when I free recoil, I like the uh, the butt pad of the stock to touch my shoulder just enough to push my shirt against my skin. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> the rest of the recoil is soaked up in my hands. I push down with my left hand and I push forward with my right. It's a pretty handy technique. Find me on Facebook, Paul P. Reed. One of the videos is up recently. Have a look. Ask me any questions you need. I think we're going to have a, a few disappointed people in your pool, actually, if uh, if Mick again wins the Vortex Colts to open because he won last year and people might be blaming you if he does it back-to-back. Did, did he get rid of that Ruger RPR? I can't believe you guys let that happen. What happened? What's going on there? Well, he, he had a different barrel. You know, that's that's all I can offer in defence. It wasn't, it wasn't a Ruger barrel. Does that help? Not to say that's not a good rifle. I actually won a club match with a rear RPR just to see how it shot. So they shoot good, but you guys, with your custom rifles, you've got to get around these factory ones. Yeah, it seems so. It seems so. Hey, speaking, speaking of which, a question without notice, which you know, half of them are, the Lithgow 105, have you looked at that at all? I don't even think it's available over here. No, but they're not out yet at all. Um, have you, you're aware of them? No. Tell me all about it. It's a latest rifle from Lithgow. It runs a KRG, uh, sort of a hybrid between the X-Ray and the Whiskey 3 chassis. Okay. And it's uh, looking quite, quite good coming out in 6.5. I know that they they will be distributed over there through Legacy Sports for anyone who is listening from the US. And they are locally made in New South Wales. And they seemingly so shoot. Like stink. Speaking of factory rifles, 
That's awesome. I just pulled them up on the website. So what sort of uh, chassis are they running? Are they just doing a barreled action? Uh, they, they come with a KRG. Uh, we all know I like that stuff. Yeah. Sure. No, I thought you'd be happy with that. And it's, I guess it's like a, a Whiskey 3.4 end with the, the rear of it as the X-ray. Um, I guess to keep the price you know, quite reasonable. They're going to be well priced over here, uh, which is very nice. And yeah, we're hoping to see them sort of mid, mid-year. But anyway, some, some local, local uh, flavour for some of the PRS factory guns, which will be good. Mate, that's, that's awesome. I, I'm looking at it. That looks like a, a good, good rifle. That would definitely, if you were going to start shooting in this port in Australia, that's the rifle to go look at right there. Mm. Mm. And, and I have seen some results of them being shot, and they, uh, they back it up as well. So. Well, I do, I do have one of their, their rifles, actually, sitting in my safe. I found it in a pawn store in Plano, Texas. It was uh, built in 1917. Uh, right. Well, you should use that in the next match. Yeah, I might. No. Well, no. <laughs> anyway. Wonderful. Hey, uh, you mentioned the uh, shot camera that you're using. Yeah. Just out of, out of interest. That mounts on the side of the scope. So it allows you to still see through the scope, is that right? Exactly, yeah. It uses a mirror system in there. You put a, there's a mounting ring yeah, right. that goes on the, um, <clears throat> on the scope mm-hmm. and it uh, just slides onto it and locks into place. Works pretty good. Yeah, right. It's pretty easy to set up. Yeah, it is. It's not hard at all. The um, <clears throat> overcoming technical difficulties like knowing how your iPhone works and getting it <laughs> Stop auto-focusing, that's, that's a problem you'll have to sort out. But that mounts, it's solid. It's a great training tool, actually. Sensational. Yeah, no, I saw that in your video. It did look quite good, and I have seen a couple of guys here with them, but I've never gra- grabbed one, and could be a really good thing for for, uh, for some guys to really be able to sort of get a second set of eyes uh, downrange or at least, you know, watch it back after the fact for yeah. uh, some options to in- improve their shooting. Well, for a lot of people, it's it's the missing piece with watching someone shoot is to see what's happening through the reticle. Mm. If you're out trying to practice so that there's no reticle movement, it doesn't happen. That reticle's pretty much always moving, and you can see my breathing in there and yep. how my timings become to pull the shot on the out-breath. So that's definitely something new shooters need to work on. Mm. Now, I've seen a couple of videos that you've done on the free recall side of things, and and. So the ones I've seen, I may have missed some, have all been done on barricades. Is this a is this a theory that works really well on barricades, but perhaps not so much prone? It's just not necessary for prone. We can get in a good stable position with the rifle square yep. on our shoulder. Not necessary at all. It's it's just for when you get bound up on a barricade and that reticle's going all over the place. You've just got to stop yourself and say, hey, this rifle will sit here without me touching it. So I've got to touch it the least amount possible to calm that reticle down. So it's really employed when the position is less than ideal and you're, you know, inducing additional movement. Exactly, yeah. Just for unusual positions, probably never prone. Gotcha. We need those big checks, free recalling from the prone position in the NALRSA. (laughs) (laughs) It always gets serious when there's big checks. Absolutely. The other question I had about free recalling do you notice a, a difference in your point of impact if you are prone and then you you know pulling it in normally and then you move to you know the same sort of setup in free recalling do you see the point of impact difference 
if you do it wrong, yeah, a lot of guys will practice at 100 year, uh, yards, they'll shoot a paper target, so you can see exactly what's what's happening. Um, you just have to try and determine what's making that zero shift happen. Is it is it me not pulling a good shot? Is the reticle moving when I pull the shot? For me, I've found that if I pull a perfect shot, there is no zero shift. Okay. But you know, if you're in a match and you notice you're hitting high right, well, aim low left, believe the bullet and do what it says, but I don't change anything. I aim exactly where I think I should aim as if I was shooting prone. Yeah, okay. One of the big questions I had from people was whether or not you you do this all the time or this is like a barricade sort of positional basis, and I think that's really good to, to clarify because I think a lot of guys were trying to get their head around doing it prone and not really coming up with great success. Yeah, it's barricade only, and guys, it's only a, a piece of the puzzle. If you're struggling with certain barricades, then try a little free recall. Yeah. Take yourself off the rifle a bit and see how it goes. And I will, um, when it comes to certain barricades, I mean, there's a couple of methods available. Like you can shoot it with a sling, you can free recall it, you can free recall off this bag, you can hold it hard with this bag. I'll go to the range, set up paper targets at 100. Typically, they're three-inch shooting seats. And I'll try every different men, uh, method, and the one with the tightest grip wins. That's all there is. Well, that's a, a good process of elimination. One of the other videos that I remember seeing a long time ago that uh, probably the first time I watched anything or heard anything from yourself was about load development. Do you still use that same method? Um, yeah, I do. Actually, that was uh, an article I did for the club. That's what it was? Yeah. Exact same method. Nothing's changed. For those who haven't read that article, and I will link it in the show notes here, give us a, a bit of a rundown because I found it as a pretty much to the point, pretty simple and easy way to go about it. Yeah, I don't know why people want to uh, overcomplicate it, but there are, there are other methods out there other guys use that work for them, but, you know, they're seasoned. That's what they've always done. I'll run you through what I do. But the article explains everything. These are the bullet points. Yep. If it's a new caliber to you, then somebody you know in the shooting circles that you travel in is going to know a good starting point. So get your starting point, and I will load up, let's say, for example, as in the article, it was uh, six Creedmoor, and someone gave me a starting load of 41.5 grains of H4350 with 105 hybrids. I'm going to load six rounds at 41.5, six rounds at 41.7, and six rounds at 41.9 grains of powder. And if you want, you can go to 42.1. It's up to you. Mm -hmm. I'll set my target up at 100 yards, 100 metres, whatever you like. Um, <clears throat> and if you go to a range you're not familiar with, verify the target boards is at 100 yards or metres. <laughs> yeah, true. Because the, some of the ranges over here want to get military contracts, and they are at 100 metres, not 100 yards. So... Yeah, okay, yep. I use the three-inch shooting seas. You can use whatever you want. Typically, uh, it's important to not have a perfect zero. You want to be close to your aiming point, but you don't actually want to shoot it. Mm -hmm. So if you're sitting up there with orange dots, dial your scope so that you're to the side of them, you don't shoot the dot up. I'll set up two rows of targets, one on the left, one on the right, 41.5, 41.7, 41.9, and I'll shoot that left side first. 41.5, 41.7, 41.9. Then I'll take a bit of a break, let it cool down, and I'll come back <clears throat> and I'll shoot the right side, 41.5, 41.7, 41.9. Exact, exact same process. <clears throat> Tightest group wins. No emotion. That's it. Yep. 
And if I if I don't like the results or I think there's a group that, that could shoot and I was having a bad day, well, I'll just get that one load and I'll um, load nine up and I'll come back and retest it. Fortunately, I haven't had too many rifles that didn't shoot, so it's always pretty evident to me what's the best load. Yeah, it's, I like how to the point and simple it is and probably also is able to sort of match the shooter's ability. I've seen some of the, the methods where you have to be like a sensational reloader to, to be able to see the variation in, in using so few rounds. Whereas I like this one, you've got a, a bit of variation there. You go, you know, that that was me. I can I can redo this or that, you know, adjust accordingly. Yeah, exactly. And just a quick word on, there's an obsession out there to shoot five-shot groups. I get it. I get it. But <clears throat> I've found it over the years that the five-shot groups uh, uh, is more about showing um, me as a shooter and not so much the capability of the load because, man, I can stack four in a row, but then that fifth one comes up, I'll sling it every time. <laughs> so you can learn everything you need to know from about your rifle and that load um, from three shots, period. Don't do five shots anymore. It'll drive you crazy. Well, I guess if, you, if your gun doesn't shoot three shots well, it's not going to shoot five shots well, is it? True. And some guys that have sent me groups over and over again, I'm like, mate, just go to one-shot groups. That'll fix it. <laughs> That'll resolve the problem. But it, it's a frustrating process. Don't make it more complicated than it needs to be. Yeah, absolutely. How long would you say you normally spend on load development when you get a, a new barrel? Man, I just go shoot that target and I'm done. I started off doing load development from the very first shot. Well, I do five warm-ups, so six shot was my load development. I was straight into it. Yep. Some guys will put 100 rounds on it before they start load development. Mm-hmm. I've done it both ways. It's always worked out the same for me. Okay. So in those 18 shots or whatever it is, I'm done with load development. I'll burn the barrel out like that. Yep, and away you go. Yep, that's it. I mean, every now and then I'll check the speed, make sure it's still good, see if the barrel's burned out. But, man, I'm still... I shoot the same load from the start to the finish. It's a good way to be. You've mentioned a couple of times, particularly when you were talking about geoballistics, that you you know you update uh, information for the atmosphere and and wind and such. And you also mentioned about mirage when you were uh, zeroing in or checking your zero. Yep. Be curious to know. In the last episode, we did talk about how you had a, a, a method of doing your wind adjustment and working that out. But we didn't talk about how you actually go about reading the wind and getting that that call of you know how fast the wind's running what what methods do you use and have you got any advice for some of these new shooters well i i do have a uh, a kestrel that i cart around with me i only use it um just for atmospherics mainly da and um wind speed mm-hmm. all the wind direction stuff i you know i get that by um throwing grass in the air kicking up dust that's a good one yep. uh the best indicators for me is um what's happening at the target with Mirage uh, and also dust that's kicked up from missed rounds or even paint smoke. Yep. Birds are pretty good if you can see birds. Unfortunately, birds seem to be scared of guns. No, but I've been at ranges that are like I would describe as a shoebox lane, like K&M and, and Core have these type of lanes to them. They're heavily wooded, real high 80-foot trees either side of it, and the wind is coming in from the right over the trees, hits the trees on the left, and the wind comes back at the target. It is a right-to-left wind, but at the target, the dust is going left to right, giving you a false reading. Right. So I've been in those scenarios, and every now and then you'll see a big old hawk that's up there about 200 foot looking for something to eat, 
And when birds don't flap their wings, they are pointed straight into the wind. That's all there is to it. Mm. So if you can get lucky enough to see something like that, or if you see that the wind's left to right, but everyone is holding to the right, well, don't get fooled. The target tells you the true story of what's happening there. I guess you're fairly qualified to talk about wings and wind and flying. Everything that flies takes off and lands in the wind. Yeah, that's uh, it's a good good lesson learned. I hadn't thought about the way the birds fly if they're not flapping wings. That's a good move. Yeah, anyway, but um, for me, I mean, mirage is difficult. Um, you can definitely get uh, the direction, but the number one way I, I look at where the wind's coming from is I watch what happens at the target. Yeah, And hopefully you're watching someone who's not that good and they actually miss a couple of times and kick up. <laughs> Because I know you're a big advocate for having binos to be able to look downrange and see what's going on when you're observing a stage. Yeah, don't watch when Matt Russo or uh, Dave Preston shooting because they just keep hitting the target. Just wasting your time, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'll see what's happening at the target. I'll talk to the other shooters. Yep. I won't necessarily ask them what they held. I'll ask them what they're going to hold and see what happens on their first shot. Yep. And I'll just take my best guess and I'll try and stay on that scope and see where it goes. So you just, I guess, you're using everything that that is in your vision and to everything in your ability, and away you go and see how that first one goes and adjust from there. And pretty much, and if if you miss off the edge, this is an important thing for the new guys. If you miss off the edge, you get man, I just missed it. I'll just make a small adjustment. Don't do that. Make an adjustment by half the target width every time. Because every time I make a small adjustment because I just missed off the edge, guess where the next one goes? <laughs> just off the edge. Yep. So if you've got to make an adjustment, make one that's at least a half a target. Yeah, bring you back onto centre. Yep. Hey, I'll take an edge hit. I'm not proud. <laughs> well, yeah, wherever it goes, as long as it hits. Hey, guys, cancel that one out. That was an edge hit. <laughs> I guess if there's 20 grand on the line, you might take you would take whatever hit you can get. <laughs> I'll take a strap hit. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely on the frame. I'll take it. I'll take <laughs> it. Yeah, excellent. And how's the year looking for you for PRS? You getting to a few matches? Yeah, I'm, I've got ten lined up this year. I've done two. I mean, I think I'm middle twenties on the scoreboard, but that doesn't mean it because we're so early in the season. I've only got two down. I'll read you out the matches I got. I got it right here. Yep. Next match is the Lone Survivor match. That's in. Uh, oh yeah. Navasota, Texas. Uh, following month, well, later this month, sorry, Alabama Precision Rifle Challenge. Mm-hmm. In May, I'm going to uh, open range up in Oklahoma. End of May, K and M uh, in <coughs> K and M up in Tennessee. Heat Stroke Open in July, back in Oklahoma. NPA Summer Shootout in August. That's up in Georgia, I think. Gap Grind in Tennessee in October. Lone Star back here in Texas in October, and then we'll do the final somewhere in, in November, and there's a bit of a gap in the, in the middle months when it's really hot. I don't know what I'll do. Probably go north for that. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair enough. North, north here is cooler, not like you blokes. Yeah, I was going to say, I'd go north. That's, that, that, yeah, end up in, uh, in Darwin here, and that's, that's no good because you might be near Butters. Americans can't understand that birds fly north <laughs> in uh, winter. Right? <laughs> You're pretty happy if uh, any of our listeners are at any of those matches coming up and they can come up and say good day and ask you about free recalling? Oh, hell yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, just come find me on, on Facebook, Paul P. Reed, send me a message, whatever you like. I'll, uh, I'm happy to help anyone. 
But if we're friends on, on Facebook, don't come up to me like we've known each other for years. Just let me know who you are. <laughs> I always do that and I'm like, I don't know who you are. I have no idea who this bloke is. Yeah, but, you know, g'day, mate. Yep. How you going? But, mate, yeah, absolutely. Come to me at a match. Contact me anyway. I'll help anybody tell you what I'm doing. No problem. Nah, sensational, mate. It's uh, certainly uh, really good for the community and I uh, really appreciate you taking the time out to chat to us and share some of this knowledge and wisdom you've built over the last, what, six or so years since you started. Uh, yeah, six years. Jeez, time flies. Yeah, doesn't it just? Doesn't it? Excellent, mate. Is there any other suggestions or advice you want to give out before we uh, finish up? Well, um, we could go over what, what gear I take to the match, like in my backpack, if you want. Yeah, absolutely. That would be wonderful. I've got to redeem myself because you asked me this last time and I almost forgot to tell you I take bullets, so that was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> oh, well, you know, minor, minor details. You, know, just, you, yeah. know, you just pick up some factory ammo at the local gun shop, don't you? Isn't that how it works? Yeah, i got a six creed. you got two, four, three. That's close enough. Give it to me. <laughs> Let's start off with... Ammunition, I take my ammo. Um, <laughs> Redeemed, check. Yeah, and typically whatever the minimum round count is for the match, plus 20 rounds, just in case. We mark our brass over here because, you know, you've got hundreds of shooters. It's nice. You guys can or not, but if you want your brass back, I suggest you mark it. Yeah, I am I am going to be highly recommending this time around that the guys mark their brass. We haven't really seen a lot of it, uh, but those who those who have marked it, uh, usually end up with their brass back almost completely. Oh, that's good. That's good. No promises. No promises. All right. Well, uh, yeah, and if it's if it's raining, get your brass right away because after the next guy tramples it into the mud, it's all over, Rover. So. <laughs> True. Um, moving on, uh, two mags. I have a mag pouch that um, holds both my mags. It goes on my hip. Uh, and those two mags, I'll put them in the rifle and make sure ammo runs through them before the match. I'll make sure the safety's on. But um, I do want to know it feeds good and there's no issues putting the mag in or pulling it out again. And if you get a bad mag that just doesn't want to play the game, get rid of it mm. because there's nothing more frustrating than having a mag pining up on you in the middle of a stage while you're on the clock. Mm -hmm. Those mags need to work and the ammo needs to feed. Let's see, knee pads and elbow pads, it's up to you if you want to damage yourself. At a minimum, I take elbow pads because sometimes we'll shoot off the cars where it's really hot. I don't want to burn myself. Yeah, good thought. I always have my binoculars, which are also range finders. I use the Suaro L range. They're pretty nice. Uh, they're a 10 power. And what I find is that as I look at the course of fire, if, if I can... Uh, see a target with ease, then I'm going to start my scope power at, at 10 because I've got the 10 power binos. Now, if I'm, I'm struggling a little bit to see the target, I like it to look bigger, I'll go to 15. Mm -hmm. But on that point, guys, it's really important that uh, you do not go into these stages with too much power on your scope because you won't find the targets. Um, so always go in with less power than in the 10 to 15. And if you get on target because you found it, because you're at a lower power, go ahead and power up to shoot at it. No problem. Um, I have a sling I'll throw in there. Uh, I'll check the flash cups, make sure they're good to go. Um, I have a, a bag with some stuff in it, a little bag that's got tools and stuff in it. Um, I'll go over the rifle and I'll get an Allen key or a screwdriver head or whatever for every single thing that turns on that rifle. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that's in my toolkit. Uh, i got my Kestrel for wind. Are you only running one Kestrel these days? Because last time we spoke, you ran two and you said you didn't know why. 
I still have the two. I, I'm not giving up my original Kestrel. No. But like I said, I only use them for atmospherics, so yeah, why not? I have two. I carry two mobile phones in case one, you know, stops working. Yeah, well, that's it. I have dope. If I can't get a bullet on target, there's a problem because I've got, like, redundancies out the redundancy. Well, two is one and one is none, mate. There you go. There you go. Um, let's see. I also have a dope holder. Um, I use a Sidewinder right now on my rifle, but I still carry my backup, which is the wrist coach yep. that goes on. That's really important. I see these guys strapping themselves with painter's tape and riding on them. Don't do that. Just go get a wrist coach. They're cheap. Uh, and you need to be able to read your dope off to yourself while you're shooting. Hmm. Hearing protection. That's about it. That's about it. Everything else is in the ute, like a spare bipod in there to keep my rifle running, but that's my backpack pretty much right there. Oh, my bags. Yeah, I've got my bags too, of course. Of course, yep. But I'm um, pretty sure that's it, mate. That's about the lot. Everyone seems to have a little different take. We did a we did a night both in Adelaide and in Melbourne where we had a few shooters, hunters as well, sort of empty their bags and what they would normally keep in their backpack. And, you know, generally speaking, it was all pretty similar, but there was a few different sort of variations. Everyone seems to have their own take on exactly what they need, but most bases are covered. It's kind of good to see. Yeah, we're lucky over here that some of the matches we shoot, we can actually drive our cars around from stage to stage. Now, that that's just a gravy walk right there because you just keep your stuff in the, in the car. But yep. if you walk, <clears throat> make sure you only carry what you need because you'll get tired by the end of the day. And if it's hot, you're going to be dehydrated. Yeah, uh, that was no issue at the last Vortex Cold still open, but uh, this one might be a little warmer. So in the early days, I did have like 20 pounds too much in my backpack. Yep. <clears throat> what I did was one match I shot, <clears throat> it was a pretty comprehensive sort of match. I went through and made a note. Every time I touched a piece of equipment, I made a note on what I used, blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the match, apart from a little toolkit, anything that wasn't on that list got taken out of the bag, and I haven't looked back. No, there's no point having stuff that you're not going to use. One question I did want to ask you is, do you have a favourite kind of stage? Is there any sort of particular styles of stages you really enjoy shooting? Mm, yeah. Or is that just the one that you clean? The ones I clean, yeah, pretty much. Obviously, I'm kind of good at prone shooting, but I do like barricade stages with a bit of movement, uh, like shoot houses, in and out of windows, that sort of stuff, because mm-hmm. <clears throat> there's a little bit more planning involved. You really need to run the stage through your head a couple of times and, and realise that, oh, man, that window is small. <clears throat> I need to drop the bipod off. I'm not going to use the bipod boy carried on there. I, I need to use a smaller bag, not the bigger bag. Yep. That sort of stuff, where you really got to think it through and there's a an efficiency to your movement is required to get that stage done. And typically, stages have a bigger target, so they're easier to clean. <laughs> nice. Excellent, Paul. Well, when's your next match? Not far away. No, it's actually a couple of days away. Oh, this right. Saturday, Sunday, Lone Survivor. Lone Survivor. Yeah, fantastic, mate. Well, good luck for it. Probably by the time this goes out, you would have uh, you would have won it. Yeah, probably, probably, yeah. <clears throat> I'll just go ahead and get my name on the trophy now. Yeah, well, let's just lock this down. Paul, the winner of the Lone Survivor match, thank you very much for, for chatting with us. Well, Paul is certainly going there to win, but respectfully, he'll take any place he gets <laughs> or he has. There's some heavy hitters at this one, so this would be a great match to do good at. Yeah, right. And I intend on- who, are you, who are you aiming to beat? Who do you need to For be? Well, everybody on my team, basically, that would be uh, uh, Dave Preston, uh, John Pinch, Jake Vibbert, um, my little buddy Matt Brusso, the golden bullet holder from last year. If you can get close to him and beat him, you've done really well. Yep. Uh, and there's a lot of other good shooters. So 
this is a, a match that attracts a lot of good shooters because it uh, supports a good cause, the Lone Survivor Foundation. You want to tell us a, a, a little bit about that quickly? So who's seen the movie The Lone Survivor? Ha- hands are all up. I can see everyone's hands Very are up. Good. Yep. Marcus Luttrell. Um, they, what they, basically, they, they help um, ex-military people with um, PTSD, assemble mm-hmm. themselves back in society and, and deal with all the things and problems that uh, we can't appreciate as civilians. Sure. And uh, I shoot with a lot of these guys, and they're very humble people, but um, it, it's surprising how difficult it is for them. So this foundation um, gets those guys back in. The guys that are taking it really hard, they nurture them back in society and help them. So, you know, the uh, as we sleep peacefully at night, these guys are out there risking their life for our safety. So let's do what we can once they're back to, to welcome them back and help them in any way they need. And we don't need to understand it. We just need to understand it's important to do. That's all there is to it. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. It's it's really good to see. And that's a cause, different organisation, but a cause we certainly support and have promoted here previously. And uh, I'm sure we'll continue to do so. Uh, I imagine is the match full. Is this a packed out one? Or are we still looking for a few guys to to go? No, this one filled up pretty quick. I'm not sure how many's in it. Probably somewhere between 120 to 150. Ah, that's fantastic. Yeah, and it's really good to see something on that PRS calendar that that is also going to that sort of a, the higher calling as well. That's wonderful. Exactly, a bit of that happens through the year, and if there's not um, <clears throat> the match isn't focused on that, there's stuff going on in the background all the time to raise money for these type of charities. Absolutely great. Pretty good group of people, these shooters, let me tell you. Yeah, yeah, and no, I've met a couple of them. They're all right. They seem good. Not bad. I'm pretty good. Just ask me. I'll let you know. Yeah, well, right. I reckon we'll keep them around. <laughs> <laughs> right. Easy, mate. Well, thank you very much for your time, Paul. Good luck for the Lone Survivor and the rest of the other the other nine matches you've got for the rest of the year, and I guess we'll see how you end up. No worries, mate. And and I know that your uh, the event down there will be a success yet again. Uh, anyone needs to... Reach out to me. Feel free to through Facebook, uh, and I'll do my best to give you a hand. Sensational, guys! If you're listening, you're, you'd be silly not to jump on and have a chat to Paul. And uh, who knows, he might make some more videos with his fancy scope camera. <laughs> well, just give me a reason to. I'll do. <laughs> Wonderful, Paul. Cheers, mate. I'll talk to you soon. Good on you, Russ. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to the Precision Shooting Podcast. To continue the discussion, check out our Facebook page. And for more information, head to our website, www.precisionshootingpodcast.com.au. This episode was brought to you by Impact Dynamics, advanced training for the precision shooter.